What a game that was. What a way to start the season for the Kansas City Chiefs. Putting up a statistic in the win column there. That's how you get the season started. The Chiefs 1-0 to start the season. And look, we'll, we'll, you'll, you'll take it. You absolutely will. It wasn't the prettiest game, especially that first half. But uh, look, the, the, these make for exciting games. I think as sports fans here in Kansas City, uh, some, something's up with, with the sports scene in town when it comes to comebacks and rallies. We've seen it with the Royals in the wild card game against the Athletics in the way they've done it in several other games down the road. And then with the Chiefs last year with that 11-game winning streak, that surge after that 5-game losing streak, and of course that 11-game uh, winning streak including the postseason win over the Texans, and then... Just this past week, the comeback win against the San Diego Chargers, the uh, biggest comeback in Chiefs history. Uh, the previous uh, comeback happened in 2011 against the Indianapolis Colts when the Chiefs, I believe, were down 17-0 on the road uh, against uh, a really bad Colts team. Uh, they were without Peyton Manning that entire year, and the Chiefs managed to come back in that one. So, uh, that's the last time it happened, a, a big comeback. That was the biggest comeback uh, prior to the 2016 season, and the Chiefs starting things off with a bang getting. Uh, and by the way, the uh, the perception of Alex Smith is very interesting now because he's always been heavily criticized. Even during that 9-0 start in his first year with the Chiefs in 2013, because of his inability to throw the deep pass or, or, or just to handle pressure, but... Look, we all know the story. Uh, there haven't been any viable wide receivers or uh, pass blockers for him in the last couple of years. And now we see Alex Smith just go out there and uh, put the team on his back and get that rally going. So something the Kansas City Chiefs really needed. And props to Alex Smith, the way he led this football team in the second half of that game. Uh, I certainly wrote the team off. A lot of people wrote the team off. Uh, I wrote on the Facebook page about how that defense really looked a lot like the 2005 defense, just the bad tackling and the misses. And listen, I've said this before on the podcast, and I say this for every sport. I think the biggest reason why we see big comebacks and upsets, I think a lot of times teams get complacent. They get overconfident. They think they have it in the bag. San Diego was in the prevent defense in the second half, and the Chiefs weren't ready to let that game go. And good for them. I mean, that's that, that's bad coaching on McCoy right there. And if I'm the head coach of the San Diego Chargers or any team that allows a big comeback like that, I would hate to go into my boss's office the next day and have to explain why that happened but from a Chiefs fans point of view nothing but exciting I'm Farzine Vasugan thank you for downloading and listening to the Chiefs Zone podcast downloaded from iTunes be sure you subscribe to the podcast and tell a buddy about it let them know uh, about this Chiefs podcast you guys can like my Facebook page facebook.com slash Farzine Vasugian you guys can also follow me on Twitter. Send me a tweet and rack with me on there. Twitter.com at Farzine21. Uh, love all the interaction this week. Uh, I had so much fun with you guys. Let's keep it going. Let's uh, We'll talk about it 
later on in the podcast. But some big news coming out of Arrowhead Stadium. The Chiefs releasing one of their draft picks in Kavari Russell. Uh, unexpected. Uh, we'll definitely talk about that. Uh, why that, that, that became the case and who ended up replacing him, especially with the news that happened earlier when the Chiefs restructured Justin Houston's contract to create some cap space. Uh, we'll get into that later on in the podcast. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, uh, be sure you guys do send me a Snapchat. My Snapchat is Farzine, V-F-A-R-Z-I-N-V. Send me a Snapchat. Let me know you're either listening to the podcast, watching a Chiefs game. I'll send you guys a video response on Snapchat. We'll talk about the release of Russell and his replacement and also the restructure uh, of Justin Houston's contract and what that really means for the Kansas City Chiefs who try to open up cap space Wednesday morning. And, of course, we'll go around the NFL and also go out of bounds and throw some penalty flags. Uh, I do have to say, regarding this Chiefs game, though, when you saw when you watch games like this, when you saw the Chiefs on Sunday... And going into halftime the way they did, you didn't think for a moment that they were going to come back. I mean, there was really absolutely no sign whatsoever that this Chiefs team was going to make a surge in that game. And the way the Chiefs came together, and I will say this, and I said this last episode, on the Chiefs on podcast. And I think it's an unfortunate thing, but it is a part of sports. Injuries are a part of sports. They just are. And from San Diego's case, Keenan Allen was just tearing up the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, he was a huge reason why the Chargers got off to, to that huge lead, had a 21 to 3 lead at halftime. The San Diego Chargers were six of six on third downs. With Keenan Allen, after Keenan Allen's injury, which by the way is a torn ACL out for the season, the Chargers were one of nine on third down. That tells you how much an injury can play a a big factor into a game. People talk about how one player doesn't make a, a big difference. Oh, it absolutely does. Because when Keenan Allen's not there, guess what? You have Marcus Peters, Philip Gaines. They're not so focused on Keenan Allen. You don't have your secondary focusing on just one guy. There, there's no double or triple team, triple coverage on just one guy. Your defensive backs are kind of scattered around. There are a bunch of one-on-one matchups, making it impossible for Philip Rivers to find somebody. And the next thing you know, late in the game, with D. Ford getting the only sack the Chiefs had, that was big coming on third down for the Chiefs. Something they needed to force a punt and eventually push this game into overtime. And by the way, I've got to say, I know people hate being conservative when you have a big lead like this, especially when a team is showing signs of a comeback. But one thing I was really shocked with San Diego, Danny Woodhead and Melvin Gordon just completely ripped apart that Chiefs defense on the ground. And when the Chargers had the ball with about five minutes left to go in the game, the Chargers went past heavy and decided to go through the air rather than continue with the ground game with Woodhead and Gordon. So, I don't know. And just to read you the stats, Woodhead went, went 89 yards off 16 carries. Gordon ran 14 times 
for 57 yards and a pair of touchdowns. I don't know how you run away from that. I get it. The NFL has changed so much that it's a pass-heavy league. It's a pass-first league. But that doesn't mean you avoid the running game if it's working for you. I mean, I hope the Chiefs can be that team this year where they might be one of those very few teams that run first and use the running game to attack a defense. And for San Diego, it just was bad strategy to me. Again, I know that there's a difference to me between being conservative and just using your strengths. I get it, Philip Rivers. He's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Not not taking anything away from him, but throw the uh, run the ball. Pardon me, run the ball. This is a team that had complete control of the Chiefs, more so on the ground than they did through the air. And Philip Rivers wasn't the most fascinating Philip Rivers that we are used to seeing. 25 of 36 for 243 yards and just one touchdown. So it's not like Phillip Rivers, yeah, sure, they were moving the ball really well through the air, but it's not like they used the passing attack to get into the end zone. And by the way, Danny Woodhead, also very effective through the air, kind of like uh, Spencer Ware. Uh, I mean, Spencer Ware had a great game. Uh, not only as a running back, uh, just rushing, but also through the air. So Spencer Ware and Danny Wood had really had a, a f- fingerprint all over the field in this game, uh, representing both teams really uh, for the Chargers uh, in Woodhead, what he was able to do. But Ware also came through, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but gosh, I, I can't sit back and just think to myself, if I'm looking at it from, a obje- from an objective perspective, because... What's the storyline here? Is it the Chiefs' comeback or the Chargers blowing this lead? Now, both are going to be discussed. Don't get me wrong. But to me, the bigger story is, how in the hell do you give up that big of a lead? If you're a Chiefs fan, you've got to be thrilled about this. I don't know a single Chiefs fan who was not ecstatic when Alex Smith ran for that touchdown to seal the deal and complete the comeback. And by the way, the Chiefs now have won 11 straight regular season games. That's the best active streak in the NFL. And I said I'd talk about Spencer Ware. Just a phenomenal game from Spencer Ware. 129 yards off 7 catches. Ran 11 times for 70 yards and a touchdown. 199 yards altogether from Spencer Ware. And look... Charkendrick uh, West, we didn't see much of him in this game. Jamal Charles, obviously inactive. He might be inactive again later this week. We'll talk about that in, in tomorrow's podcast. But for the most part, Spencer Ware, you've got to give it up to him. This is a player who really came through last year when Jamal Charles' backup got injured. So, Sharkandrick West, he even had to be limited a little bit at some point last year. So, Spencer Ware stepped in, and guess what? This guy's also carrying the rock and helping the Chiefs uh, continue that surge and also dominate on the field. So, it's great to see the Chiefs really just utilize all of their plays. You saw Travis Kelsey. He really got into it late in the game. 
Uh, six catches for 74 yards. Jeremy Macklin got off to an extremely slow start, but he also got going, got a touchdown in the game. Tyree Kill got the team's first touchdown of the season. And then Alex Smith, of course, got that big rally uh, in overtime, uh, rushing for the touchdown himself, had that option there. Uh, just really, and I, here's my thing about the Chiefs in this game. If the Chiefs were 8-2 and two and they got off to a start like this, I'd have said, man, this is just not the football team we're used to seeing all season. And if they come back, you say to yourself, okay, we expected that because this is a great team and they're, they've been dominant all year. The thing about week one games when they come back like this, and similar to another team who I'll touch on later, I think there are still question marks to me. Don't get me wrong. Give the Chiefs every single bit of credit here because they earned that victory. You do not... Come back with just, what, three points in the first half and then 30 in the second half and the overtime period? That's no accident there. You score 30 points in the third, fourth quarters and in overtime, you deserve to win that football game. But to me, I I still think there's a big question mark. Who is this Chiefs team? Is it the team we saw in the first half or the team we saw... After the first half. Again, if this was in the middle of the season, we if the Chiefs lost, we would have said, okay, they dropped the game and looked really bad. L- listen, everyone's entitled to have a, a bad game. Even the great, great teams. And even some of the bad teams, they have a great game. In a season. So... I'm not too sure what to think of this Chiefs team. You guys heard my prediction. I I, I had the Chiefs losing this game. Uh, I had them winning seven games this season. Uh, Again, kind of a little iffy about that because the Denver Broncos, the way they looked during their Thursday night opener over the Carolina Panthers. And the Oakland Raiders, again, I know it's all one game, but listen, in the NFL, you do not get many opportunities. You only have 16 games. That's not a lot. A three-game winning streak is huge in the NFL. Or a losing streak. A three-game losing streak is big in the NFL. So you do not have many opportunities to show your to do to do stuff, basically. You've got to do it right away. Look at it this way. Let's do the simple math here. Sixteen games. We just played one game. One divided by sixteen, a little more than six percent. We're already 6% through the season. Now, after next week, it'll be 12%. And then, after week three, you're very close to 20% of the season. Already through. A fifth of the, of the season. Close to a fifth of the, of the season. So again, like I said, in college football, you get, what, 12, maybe 13 games to try to get a shot at a bowl game or to be in the new playoff system that they have, which still to me is not very good. There just isn't a big window of opportunity. One game means everything in the NFL. Especially the way the game of football is structured. If you lose the game on Sunday, you're feeling crappy for six days and so is your fan base. Or until whenever the next game is, Thursday, Monday, whatever. If the Royals were to lose four in a row in April, 
You know, is, is it the end of the world? No, because you have 162 games in baseball. Which is, it, it, I heard uh, Danny Parkins mention this on 610. Baseball is the perfect sample size sport. You have plenty of opportunities to come back from a struggle. Yeah, I mean, if you make the playoffs in baseball, it's well-deserved. I think it's an accurate description of how every team does. That's not to say that's not the case for football. But my point is, you could probably win 9 or 10 games, maybe not even make the playoffs. We saw the Chiefs in 2005 win 10 games, not make the playoffs. Matt Castle is very famous for winning 11 with New England the year Tom Brady was out and still didn't make the playoffs. So to me, take the 1-0 start. Listen, we hear this a lot in the NFL. I say this for all of sports, but wins don't come easy. Take them any way you can get them. Chiefs are 1-0, and it's a division win. So this could be big for tiebreaker implications down the road. And I know I'm already thinking too far ahead, but again, listen, guys. 16 games, it's not a lot. It's a very, football, I think, is a bit of an unfair sport sometimes because you just don't have plenty of opportunities. I think you guys get the point now. So, 1-0, one game's in the books, and not the prettiest win. I still have some question marks, especially the defensive side of the football. Marcus Peters did not look very good. Derek Johnson certainly did not look good in this football game. Tom Bahali had a couple flashes here. D. Ford looked very bad early on, and then just with the surge following the trend there, he kind of picked it up late in the game, of course, with that big sack to help force overtime against the Chargers. So the Chiefs winning any way they can. And of course, uh, the uh, special teams. Uh, almost forgot about that. Uh, you know, people talk talk about how the offense and defense they make plays, and then we always say, "Oh, yeah, of course, special teams." That's also a facet. But when we think of special teams, we think of the return game or the kicking game, field goals. We don't necessarily think about the punters so much. Drew Kaser, the rookie who was cut, or pardon me, who. Uh, Beat out a veteran. Veteran was cut in place for a rookie. And he had a pretty terrible game here. Especially that last punt when the Chiefs had less than half the field to go to tie the game. And I I think it really makes you feel fortunate that the Chiefs have one of the best punters in the NFL in Dustin Colquitt. I, I I feel like at times he gets too much credit. He's not necessarily the best punter. But he's always been one of the best, uh, statistically speaking. And uh, he, he comes through for the Chiefs, especially during the bad years when the Chiefs were not able to move the football. He would pin uh, the football deep in enemy territory and f- forcing them to go long drives if they wanted to score. They would have to earn it quite a bit to get a score uh, from the defense. And the punting game, I, I, th- I think, is very underrated. Special teams as a whole is underrated, but... Again, like I said, when we think of how, yeah, special teams is a third facet of the game, the punting game still gets ignored. A lot of fans think it's all right, get the football, kick it away. Uh, but there's more to it to that. I, I mean, Kayser had some of the weirdest backspin in this game that helped the Chiefs. 
Take it any way you can get it. 33-27 to 27 victory in overtime. Uh, a couple notes from this game, aside from the uh, game itself. Uh, before the game, Marcus Peters, of course, got a lot of attention for having a fist up. Uh, by the way, great ceremonies. I, I was so glad to see these on TV. I, I have NFL Sunday ticket, and it was so cool seeing how every team was able to showcase this on television. Uh, but uh, the ceremonies were great. The tributes, awesome. And, of course, it's a moment where we just remember what happened 15 years ago and all the men and women who serve our country now uh, because of what happened on that date. Uh, it, it does not go unappreciated, of course. But with what happened with Marcus Peters holding a fist up and a few Miami Dolphins players kneeling, Colin Kaepernick, of course, continuing with his protest uh, on Monday night, a lot of people talked about how this is happening on September the 11th. And of course, more specifically, the 15-year anniversary of 9-11. Which to me... Look, people are already criticizing these players for standing up for the national... Or sitting up for the national anthem or holding a fist up, whatever it is, whatever protest they want to do. To me, at this point, it doesn't even matter if it's happening on... 9-11, or if we happen to have games on Memorial Day, whatever the case may be. I think if you're going to sit here and talk about how holding a fist up or, or protesting during the National Anthem, you've it cannot just be, oh, okay, it's on September the 11th, these players should not protest for one game. Listen, man, if we're going to talk about how it's so disrespectful to the flag and the country and the people who serve our who serve our country, they should either not do it or, or, or do it, regardless of the date. L- listen, I think as Chiefs fans, we've got to be a little careful here and just not be hypocritical because what do Chiefs fans chant at the end of the National Anthem in place of the word brave? Now, it hasn't caught... Major controversy. I think the worst thing that's happened, it, it, it happens over at Kansas Jayhawks games. I've seen it. I, I've heard it a couple times at Royals games and other non-Chiefs events in the Kansas City area. And I'm thinking, what the hell? This isn't even a Chiefs game. Why are people chanting that? I know Bill Self has spoken about this. And with the new school year every year, I, I know this is going to be another story again come October and November when college basketball season gets kicked off or, or, or tipped off, I should say. I don't know why people feel the need to chant that at other sporting events. Now, but that's besides the point. Chiefs fans chant home of the Chiefs. So let's not act like Chiefs fans are so perfect and and great and innocent when it comes to the National Anthem. Again, uh, me personally, uh, had I not been a Chiefs fan, maybe I would have had a different point of view, but... Again, this hasn't gotten major controversy uh, across the country. This is something that's gone on for a very long time at Arrowhead Stadium. I know during the 10-year anniversary, the Chiefs had asked fans to not do it. It was kind of half and half with the way Chiefs fans responded. Uh, Here's what I'll say, though, with the protests. And I try not to get too personal on the podcast, but I'll do it for just a brief moment. Uh, Those of you guys who have followed me on Twitter or Facebook, you guys know this that I was born in Iran, but moved to the United States when I was three years old, uh, became an American citizen when I was in sixth grade, so I was 11 years old. Uh, 
I've, I've got to tell you, yes, I was born in another country, but I've lived in the United States really my entire life. I mean, any recollection I have of anything, any memory is being in the United States. And I, I love I love the United States. I consider it my home uh, more than where I was born. And uh, that's huge to me. I mean, I take pride in, in, in being an American citizen, living in the country, I mean, considering this home. But I've also fallen into racism and just nasty comments. Really just discrimination, which is what these players are standing up for. If you're criticizing these players because of discrimination, then you got to hold up for a sec. I mean, if we're talking about the... Average white man in the USA, listen, uh, you have absolutely no idea what it's like to be discriminated. I think the only possible way that person will know what it's like is if they were to leave the country, live in another country for a month or two, and maybe just hear the negative things that people say about the United States sometimes, which is unfortunate. You know, I hate that we live in a world where we say negative things about certain people. Because let's be honest, a lot of people do it. Even behind closed doors, we saw what happened uh, with Donald Sterling, the uh, former Clippers owner. What he had said about African Americans coming to his games. Again, this was behind closed doors. There was a secret recorder set up and what she got busted for. So there are a lot of things that people are saying. Even though they don't say it publicly on on their social media or out on the street. They might say that in their own homes. So discrimination and race, yes, it exists. And to me, it's very unfortunate that this is happening. So look, like I I said this last podcast, I don't necessarily agree with the way that these players are going about it during the national anthem. But you know what? At the end of the day, as someone who has fallen into discrimination, I've been discriminated before, unfortunately. I mean, as I've got older, it's happened less and less. I mean, the older you get, the more mature you are and you're around more mature people your age. Uh, but, you know, in in, uh, <laughs> in middle school and high school, it was just a funny thing for me to deal with. And when I say funny, I mean, it's not like hysterical by all means. It's just it's uh, it's it's laughable at those people who, who make those comments, because think about that. If that's what they say to me or to anyone else when they're in school, what, what are their parents teaching them at home? I mean, that's just a thought, but uh, look, I, I can't sit here and criticize these players for wanting to stand up because they've been discriminated. Alex Smith said it perfectly after the game. He talked about how Marcus Peters, he he walks different shoes than he does because he's gone through more than he has. Alex Smith, how many times has Alex Smith been poked at or made fun of for being a white guy? Never. He never has. But take all these black players that we have, not just on the Kansas City Chiefs, but in the NFL, in the NBA, everywhere. How many times have these guys been criticized because of their their race, the color of their skin? It's happened. You don't always see it. Sometimes you pretend you don't want to see it, but you know what happens. And listen, this is a country where 
we try to live by freedom and equality, and let's be honest, we, we really don't. I mean, people want to talk about how in 2008 they weren't necessarily ready for the president to be African-American or today to have a female president. Now, again, I know uh, this uh, upcoming election, not the greatest example to use, but still, a lot of people out there are not voting for Hillary Clinton because she was a woman. If you don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton, that's one thing, but to not vote for her because of her gender... Okay, that's when you know that this country is not living by its standards of equality. And it, it goes beyond these protests. So, I, I don't want to get too political. I, I feel like I've kind of broken my own rule from the last podcast when I talked about this. Uh, Trying not to get too political. But let's be honest, uh, this, is, uh, this is only going to continue with these players. And we're kind of seeing it happen in uh, other sports too, not just the NFL. So... I hope this leads to something good. I know there's been a lot of negative PR with, with the fans and the media. I hope at the end of the day, something good can, can come out of it. I know that's asking way too much because we don't live in a peaceful world. We're, we're, this isn't a utopia, so I get that. But you, you can always hope that something good can, can come out of it at the end of the day. One other thing I want to talk about that happened uh, before the game, uh, Chiefs parking. I've talked about this a couple of times. Uh, Look, I don't know what happened from 2007 through 2012 when the Chiefs were bad and attendance dropped. Because before 2007, for nearly 20 years, there were sellouts. Consecutive sellouts, nonstop. And in 2013, when Andy Reid came in and the expectations changed and fans came back to Arrowhead, and guess what? Butts are at seats at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, You've got nearly 80,000 now at these games than you did from 07 to 2012. But, for some reason, the Chiefs cannot figure out this traffic deal. I want to, listen, I I love Arrowhead Stadium. I love the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, You know, for those who have listened to the podcast for a long time, you guys know what it means to me. To be able to go watch a game at Arrowhead Stadium. I really think it's a special moment. Uh, and something I, I love doing as a kid. Going with with my family. But to me. Honestly I have no desire to go watch a game ever again. I really don't. Not in person at least. Until they figure out this parking mishap. Because quite honestly. Sunday morning I'm sitting watching these NFL pregame shows of course. And I do a Twitter search for Chiefs parking, and I saw the craziest things written, all these complaints, and I would hate to be the social media intern for the Chiefs, or social media coordinator, depending what they have. I mean, some companies have a coordinator, some some companies just have an intern handle social media. Uh, I'd hate to be the person handling the social media accounts for, for the Chiefs, because the Chiefs got slammed, and rightfully so. People talked about how, by the way, people who are saying that they had such a wonderful parking experience out at Arrowhead, yeah, that's because you arrived at 7 a.m. to tailgate. Which by then there's really no, let's be honest, even on Chief Sundays for a noon kickoff game, 7 a.m. there's no traffic on 435 and I-70 right around the sports complex. It's really easy. I've done it before. 
It's really easy to arrive at Arrowhead at 7 or 8 a.m. and not deal with traffic and get to a parking spot quickly. But listen, I'm not a huge tailgater. A lot of people are not. Some people, they're not going to take their Monday or Thursday off work to tailgate the entire day. Uh, Some people have their priorities. And some people want to take the entire day off and more power to you. You have that ability. But some people just don't want to tailgate and that's okay. Some people want to arrive early and tailgate and that's okay too. But for the people who want to arrive at 9 or 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, listen, there's no reason why the Chiefs have to have such a disastrous rocket science parking scene. I don't know what, what it was, but the Chiefs apparently said that they have a new and improved parking system, and it se- according to Twitter, it's only seemed to gotten worse. So I don't know what it is with the parking situation, why it's getting worse, why the Chiefs are not fixing it, but listen, damn it, we had sellouts for 20 years and this was never an issue, so the Chiefs know damn well that this can be fixed. And listen, when I said I don't have a desire to go there, why, why is it worth it to me to spend 40 bucks to pay for parking, to spend an hour in my car, circle pretty much the entire complex to eventually get to my comp, to get to my parking spot. I told you guys the story I had. I, I won't repeat it again, but I told you guys the incident I had and how big of a disaster parking was for me uh, last year when I attended the Chiefs and Broncos Thursday night game. You know, you show up at 9. I, I saw a lot of people tweeting that they ar- arrived pretty much at the complex grounds at 9.15. They got to a parking spot at 10.10, 10, 10.15, 10.20. They were in their cars for an hour. And listen, we're talking we're, we're talking a lot of gas too there. And if you're going to go to another game this year at Arrowhead, go with a full tank of gas because quite honestly, I think people are spending more time at the seat of their car than they are at Arrowhead Stadium. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's a big reason why I don't have a desire to go there. I'm not. I, I, I'm not going to Arrowhead to spend time for an hour and a half in my car before a game, and another hour and a half or two hours after the game. I mean, we're talking gas money. We're talking time. I mean, listen, we have lives. We really do. A, a football game is what three hours, and if you're two hours. In your car before the game and two hours after the game, we're talking seven hours at the Chiefs Complex. And again, if you're completely happy with tailgating and spending 10 hours of your day at the Chiefs Complex, again, more power to you, but not everyone's a tailgater. Not everyone's to do it. Funny thing, by the way, I saw uh, someone tweet a picture. Uh, They were behind uh, a truck, and because parking was just so chaotic... People actually started grilling on top of their truck while they were driving. I don't know if it's safe. I don't condone it. I wouldn't suggest it, but uh, it got to that point. That's how far it got with Chiefs fans. Again, I don't know what the hell happened. Why is it that the Chiefs and their traffic directors don't know how to take care of things anymore? Uh, I hope it gets fixed because, let's be honest, if the Chiefs are going to continue to improve like they have under John Dorsey and Andy Reid, 
uh, more fans are going to want to come out there. So, and Sam Ellinger said that this is the most anticipated game, in, most anticipated season, excuse me, in Chiefs history in a long time. So you've got to make sure you know how to have this parking situation handled. And by the way, for people saying this is never an issue for Royals games, oh man, where is the common sense? Let me tell you a secret, Kauffman Stadium has half the seats that Arrowhead does. If there's a sellout at Kauffman Stadium for a World Series, like there has been the past two years, guess what? There are still some empty spots in the parking lot somewhere. Not every single parking space is going to be occupied for a Royals game, even for a sellout, believe it or not. So don't even compare parking at the K... And parking at Arrowhead. <laughs> Two completely different things. Alright, uh, last topic I want to talk about before we go around the NFL. Uh, the Chiefs let go of Kavari Russell. Their third round pick at cornerback. And I talked about this before. The Chiefs have drafted a lot of cornerbacks in the third round the past couple of years. They drafted Kavari Russell this year in the third round. 2015, they drafted Steven Nelson in the third round. And these are, these, these are all cornerbacks who I'm naming, by the way. Philip Gaines drafted in the third round in 2014. 2013, no cornerbacks drafted early, but the Chiefs did get Sanders Cummings that year. And I'll go back to... Well, I lost my spot. I don't remember which... Draft class was it, but... Uh, oh, oh, 2015, sorry. Marcus Peters drafted in the first round, who's also a cornerback, of course. So, 2013, you didn't get a cornerback early. You got Sanders Cummings, but late-round picks, let's be honest. Uh, those, those players have short lifespans in the NFL. 2014, you drafted Philip Gaines in the third round. 2015... Marcus Peters in the first round, Steven Nelson in the third round. This year, Kavari Russell in the third round. In the past three years, you've drafted four cornerbacks in the first and third rounds. You just cut one of them. There's no story as to what happened with Kavari Russell. Something personal had to have happened. He he certainly had to have break some sort of protocol, but the Chiefs that Wednesday morning did restructure Justin Houston's contract, uh, freeing up $6 million more of cap space, which I think is a fair thing to do because of Justin Houston's consistent injury with the Chiefs, unfortunately. But a lot of people were wondering, what are the Chiefs doing? They're freeing up cap space. They just let go of their third-round draft pick after one game, and they replaced him with Desmond Moses. Not the most exciting, corresponding move, but for the Chiefs, uh, that's what they went with. I, I I do think Desmond Moses should be on this team. I, I think he can do more with with the Chiefs in the linebacking corps. Uh, but uh, to me, I'm not uh, something. Some there needs to be an explanation because third round picks don't get cut after one game. They just don't. And for the Chiefs, this hasn't been very pretty. Kevin Hogan was cut. And now Kavari Russell already, and I get it again, late round picks, they don't get long lifespans in the NFL, but still uh, to already cut 
two players from your draft class this year, to me, is very surprising. I'm not quite sure whose bad side Kavari Russell got on, but man, uh, Rand Getlin was the first to report this, and he tweeted that he's a very talented player and should be picked up soon. A very talented player doesn't just get released after one game in his rookie season as a third-round pick. Uh, There's a lot more to the story that we may never know. But whoever picks up Russell, I'm definitely going to be following that story because I want to hear his interview. And the media better ask what the hell happened in Kansas City because... This is a rarity in the NFL. You just don't see it happen often. They're having a couple of first-round busts who have had just a couple of years with with teams. But, I mean, it's not like that's never happened before. It's rare. But, again, it's it's not like it's the first time that's ever happened. Uh, A second-day draft pick. It used to be a first-day pick in the third round. But a second-day pick. Man. Uh... To be cut after one game, there's a, there's a story that needs to be told. Remember when I criticized the Minnesota Vikings for trading a first-round draft pick for a quarterback in Sam Bradford, and they have drafted two quarterbacks in, in recent history? Again, you're just wasting your draft picks now. That's not good. Let's go around the NFL. Okay, I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen the uh, the video clips of this on, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, wherever it may be. Uh, but if for whatever reason you have not seen this, go to YouTube and search John Dorenbos, the long snapper for the Philadelphia Eagles, who's really made him a name for himself on America's Got Talent with his magic tricks and everything he's done. And it got me thinking for just one moment... Yes, we absolutely have to respect and and consider how valuable our soldiers are. Sacrificing everything overseas for us. Police officers, firefighters, doctors, nurses, teachers, counselors. I mean, those people do a lot for our society. Some of them a lot of them don't get paid a lot, but they're not in their industry for the money. They're in it because they love what they do and they want to help people. And when I think of John Dorenbus, I think to myself, look, those are uh, the list of people I just mentioned. Those are highbrow, important people who help our who help us, our society, one way or another. And then there are guys like John Dorenbus who are lowbrow, important people because they're entertainers. They, I mean, again, our highbrow people. They do a lot. They help our community. But those lowbrow people, like an entertainer. Like John Dorenbus, they find a way to put a smile on our faces. And I've got to say, I was really just blown away with his talents and his magic tricks, but also his story. And when he talked about what magic meant to him, I'm not going to play the clip or, or go into detail with that because it's a very long story and a very long clip, but I will post it on my Facebook and Twitter pages, facebook.com slash Farzinvisugi and twitter.com slash farzin one. Uh, very, very touching story. What he's gone through, uh, what he and his sister went through, and how, what, basically everything uh, that has brought to him where he is in his life today. And I really hope people do 
watch his segment if you haven't on uh, the the uh, his final performance on America's Got Talent on what magic means to him. Uh, listen, man, I don't care if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. You don't have to love the Philadelphia Eagles. But John Dorenbus, I had no idea who in the world this guy was before the summer, before America's Got Talent got underway this season. Now I know who he is because of the message he delivered. I don't think he wants to win. I think he just wanted to deliver a message, which he did in his final performance, about what magic meant to him. Please go watch it because it's a really special thing, and I think it's definitely going to uh, inspire a lot of people. Listen, uh, I, I know we love criticizing the Patriots because they're so great, and we we want all of the team, our our teams, we want our teams to be like the Patriots, get three, four Super Bowls. You know, just when you think it's bad, when Tom Brady gets hurt, they still win eleven games. When Tom Brady is suspended and Rob Gronkowski is inactive, the Patriots still find a way to win games. Give it up to Bill Belichick, man. Uh, you say what you want about what he's done with the Spygate and the football deflate and how they were not cooperative with the NFL and the investigation. At the end of the day, Bill Belichick, this guy's a genius. Love him or hate him. I hate him. I hate him because I want my team to be like his teams. Give credit to him. By the way, one last note. Remember when a lot of people said Donovan McNabb was crazy when he was asked if he thinks he belongs in the Hall of Fame, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he said yes? Well, guess what? Now he's a nominee to be a part, to be inducted, possibly inducted, uh, I should say, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Listen, man, I know he never won a championship with Philadelphia, But everything he did to help the Philadelphia Eagles become one of the better teams in the NFC took help him got to so many NFC title games. That's not an easy task to do itself. And everything he did, even when he got traded to Washington within the division, he gave Washington even a little bit of hope there. At one point, the Redskins even led the division in the NFC East. So I definitely think Donovan McNabb has earned... His spot in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So he might not be a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's fine. But listen, man, he deserves to get in at some point. It took Derek Thomas a while. So I listen, anyone who is a nominee to get in, uh, there are no such thing as snubs. So many great players are nominated for a reason. So it's going to take some people some time. It took Will Shields a little bit of time. People were talking about how it took forever. I mean, Derek Thomas, you want to talk about forever? DT, it took a long time for him to get in. McNabb will get in. I don't think it happens right away, but I think it does happen uh, at some point for McNabb. All right, let's go out of bounds. All right, things got a little awkward at UFC 203 after the main event, the heavyweight championship, Stipe Miocic knocking out Alistair Overeem. Uh, For those who don't watch the UFC, uh, right after a big fight or a title fight, a main event, whatever, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, one of the announcers for the UFC, he interviews not just the winning fighter, but also the losing fighter. Again, this is only for... Title fights, main events, big fights. That, that's the only occasion where he does this. Because people still want to hear from the uh, the, the losing fighter. So Alistair Overeem just lost the championship match. Knocked out. And 
he claimed that he, at one point he had Stipe in a in a choke and that he tapped out and the referee missed it. So Joe Rogan, doing what he should have done, uh, he asked for his production crew right on the spot to provide a couple of replays just so they can see it. If that was the case, which, by the way, if that would have been the case, that would have been weird. But they replayed it twice from different angles and you do not see a tap at all. Now, Joe Rogan went at, on Twitter after the pay-per-view and said, look, he reached out to the UFC brass and said, fighters who get KO'd should not be forced to do interviews. And I've got to say, even though that was very awkward and I think getting knocked out might have played a role, and I, I don't know what it's been, what it's like to be knocked out, fortunately, uh, I disagree because... He's interviewed plenty of fighters over the years, and this is this is just something that's happened once. Don't let one occasion ruin things and have to change how you do your job. Again, very weird moment. Maybe Alistair did feel something. Maybe it wasn't even the knockout effect. Maybe he truly thought that there was a tap out and that the referee missed it, and he could just have been wrong. But overall, uh, I disagree. I still want to hear from the losing fighter because they still do a post-fight press conference right after the pay-per-view is over. So I want to hear from the losing fighter after big fights. Uh, Also, I got to touch on Billy Butler because I know everyone here in Kansas City loved him. But man, I don't know if this is true, but uh, not quite sure what the case was. Why? why, Again, I don't know if these rumors are true. If, If it is true, it's funny. Um, he was released by the Oakland Athletics this past. Well, that's not the rumor, by the way. He really was released by the Athletics. The rumor I heard was that he came back to Kansas City because he was given some time off with the scuffle he had in the locker room with another teammate. So he took some time off, came to Kansas City. He was at the Chiefs game, and he found out at the Chiefs game that he was released. And I find it even funnier because Six Sense Sports Radio posted the news about it on on their on their facebook page and the number one comment was can he play inside linebacker for the chiefs because the announcement happened while the chiefs tackling mishaps happened in the first half i thought that was funny come on you've got to admit that's a little funny top comment was can he play inside linebacker for the chiefs all right i gotta throw a flag Okay, I've only got one flag to throw. It's at Royals manager Ned Yost. Not at Joachim Soria, at Ned Yost. Listen, I get it. I heard his post-game press conference after Tuesday's game, and he talked about how he wants to have confidence in all of his players. Otherwise, they won't have confidence in him. Okay, I get it. Respectable from a manager or a coach. But come on. Joachim Soria has blown 12 games this year. The Royals are five games back in the wild card. If Soria, who, by the way, high expectations from him returning to Kansas City and is getting paid, what? $7 million this year to blow 12 games for you? Listen, the the whole booing thing, First Amendment, guys, like I said earlier, again, I don't want to get too political, but people have the, I feel like if you spend money 
on a ticket, merchandise, you want to go see these people in person, and these athletes who, who make millions of dollars, and if they continue to underachieve and underperform, I think they deserve a few boobirds. Even though Soria's done a lot for this organization, has stayed in Kansas City for a while, even during those losing years, uh, I, I, I had a hard time getting behind the booze at first, but listen, I'm at the point where you've got to just, you've got to send a message. You just have to. And props to Soria for for understanding and manning up about it. Saying, hey, I understand the fans, they paid money. He, he actually said what I'm saying now. So props to him for taking that like a, like a, like an athlete, like a true athlete who's making millions of dollars. At the end of the day, the Royals who, maybe they make the playoffs because they're the Royals and they have some crazy magic going on. Like I mentioned earlier on the show with the way the Royals have rallied the past couple of years in crazy situations when they have their backs against the wall. But I think their luck's about to run out and they're going to miss the playoffs as reigning World Series champions because of Joaquin Soria. Don't tell me about how there are there are 24 other guys on the roster. It's a team sport. Okay, look, you know it. I know it. Soria's blown 12 games. If he doesn't even blow half those games, the Royals are leading in the wild card spot right now. I mean, you're losing to teams like Oakland. And God knows how much Kansas City fans don't like Oakland. Come on. You've got to do better than that. And again, look, man. These fans who are saying, ah, these non-true fans, these new money Royals fans booing. Look, man. I know uh, Marty McDonald, uh, the guy who ran the flags uh, from Save Our Chiefs above the stadium... He also got criticized for this. Look, you have the right to boo your own team. You really do. If you're paying a lot of money and they're consistently screwing up the way they do, send a message to that fan base, man. You've got to do it. And for fans who just want to be the true fans and they don't want to have an opinion, they they, they, they pretend that they don't even have a, a mindset, come on. Don't kid yourselves. Even you know that this is absolutely ridiculous from the Kansas City Royals. They have to be doing better than this. They're going to miss the playoffs because of Joachim Soria. He's blown 12 games for you. Hopefully the Chiefs don't blow any games. Just like the Chargers did this past Sunday. Knock on wood. But nonetheless, Chiefs are 1-0. And you take a win any way you can get it. Carry it over to the next game. And look, the Chiefs do have a tough schedule this year, so they'll take all the help they can get. If they come back again in miracle fashion, guess what? Just take the win, move on to the next game. Wins don't come easy in sports, right? Take them. I'm Farzee Vasugan. Thanks for listening to the Chiefs Stone Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzee twitter.com slash Farzine 21, follow me on Twitter and send me a Snapchat, Farzine V, F A R Z I N V. Love all the interaction. Let's keep this going. I'll have a shorter podcast tomorrow. We won't have the Around the NFL, Out of Bounds, and Penalty Flag segments. Uh, we'll just do it for this podcast only for this week. So tomorrow, we'll just break down the game between the Chiefs and the Houston Texans. Playing for the third time in two years at Houston, by the way. So the Chiefs. 
and the Texans now have a bit of a rivalry going on here, but this is a much different Texans team. Again, like I said, tougher schedule this year, and some of the opponents are a lot different than they were last year. We'll talk about that in the next podcast. Until then, please, let's keep the interaction going. Love it on the Facebook and Twitter pages, and of course on Snapchat as well, which we recently incorporated as part of the show. Chiefs on Podcast, I'm Farzim Vasugan. Thanks a lot. Talk to you next episode.